Good morning, everyone. Pastor Daniel was talking about the weird switcheroo we're doing and how he forgot to bring his iPad up. And I was back there going like this, leading songs with uh, my hands. <laughs> so you just get into that routine, right? <laughs> well, it's a privilege to be able to share with you this morning. And um, just trust that the Lord will speak to our hearts. I was considering the message and when I got to our main verse, which we'll read in just a minute, I, I found a little commentary that talks about the seven different ways in Scripture that portray the relationship between Christ and his people. And it kind of sprung, launched me into what we're going to talk about this morning, but I wanted to show a little chart. We're not going to share all seven, so don't worry, everybody. But um, we are going to talk about one of them. But this little chart that we're going to put up, the seven different relationships that are demonstrated in Scripture between Christ and his church. And you could almost do a whole series on this or a series on each and every one of them. But it talks about the shepherd and his sheep, which emphasizes the leadership and the protection of Christ and the dependency of us upon him as our shepherd. We have another one, the vine and the branches, which points out the necessity for us to rely on him, depend on him for his sustaining strength. We have Christ, the high priest, and us, the kingdom of priests, which shows our joyful worship, fellowship, and service with him. We have the cornerstone and the building stones, <coughs> which accents the foundational value of Christ to everything the church is and does, as well as our value to the unity of the believer's head and the many-membered body. It's used many times in Scripture to illustrate several truths, that it's a, the church is a vibrant organism. It's not just an organization. We feed off each other. We flow together with each other with, of course, everything coming down from Christ to us. We have the last Adam and the new creation, which presents Christ as the initiator of the new creation, just as Adam was of the old creation. And then the last one, which we're going to talk about today, is the bridegroom and the bride, which emphasizes the intimate fellowship and co-ownership existing between Christ and the church. And the verse that we're going to kind of use as our kind of base this morning, home base, is Ephesians 5. 25 through 29. Ephesians 5, 25 through 29. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, he that loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. Now, obviously, this verse is also a common verse that's used to talk about the relationship between a man and his wife. And that's a very good verse to use. You, use it, you could do a whole session on it in a marriage and family course. This is a home base for that. But I want to look at, at it from the other angle. It's Christ and his church, because we're seeing the same thing. Paul did this a lot. He used parallel tracks to compare one with the other. And he was teaching about marriage life, but he was using the relationship between Christ and his church as the example. 
And so I said, well, let's look at it from that perspective this morning. We are the church. We are his bride. My favorite teacher in Bible school would always used to say, yeah, Dr. Karam, we're all female to Christ. We're all his bride. We are all to look at him in that way and in that dependent way. <clears throat> so we're going to look at this this morning and talk about the relationship between Christ and his church. And, and first of all, we're going to look at Christ's role, and then we're going to look at our role, because he has a part, but we also have a part as well, don't we? It's not all on him. We have things that we need to do as well, and we'll see that here today. So first of all, it says that he loves us. He loves us. Love, just as Christ loved his church. He loves us. And what is that word love? That word love is the Greek word agapeo, or we commonly say agape. It's divine love. It's unconditional love. It's love that only wants what's best for that other person. Ephesians 5.2 says, walk in love. Agape, as Christ also loved us. He gave himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. He gave his life for us. That's how much he loves us. He, he gave his life for us. I don't know of any other higher sacrifice you could do. Likewise, the Father loved us so much, John 3.16, that he sent his Son how many fathers would sacrifice their son for somebody else? Not many. That's the love that he had for us and has for us. He loves us. And that's a thing that we have to come to grips with. Uh, he loves us. He, our bridegroom. And, now, it, and again, in the marriage and family class, it seems like, well, your husband, do you love your wife? And everyone's like, yeah, I love my wife. But our English language is not as dis descriptive. You can say, I love my wife. I love my dog. I love my car. I love pizza. Uh, but it doesn't mean the same thing, does it? Right? <laughs> That's how kind of boring and weird the English language is. But the Greek word is so descriptive that they've got different words for each of those things that I just said. And he loves us with that divine, unconditional, sacrificial Love. He, that's how much he loves us. And it's further defined by Matthew, or excuse me, John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. True love is offering ourselves. And that's what Jesus did. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He gave his life for us because he loves us. He also sanctifies us and cleanses us. Sanctify, that's a really fancy word for saying set apart for a specific purpose. We are set apart, consecrated unto him. The church is represented as the spouse of Christ to prepare, to prepare us. He, he has to prepare us, right? Just as your wife prepares, the husband prepares, prepares us by cleansing us, by setting us apart. This is kind of reminds me of Esther. If you look at the beginning parts of Esther where she is chosen to go into the house of the king and there was a set apart. They were set apart from everybody else for the purpose of preparing for the 
selection process of the king. Now, that's unusual to us because that's not how our culture works, but they were all set apart for six months with oil and myrrh and then six months with other sweet, a whole year. They were set apart to prepare what, for what it took to be the wife of, of the king at that time. How much more preparation do we need, right? How much more sanctification, being set apart, do we need to be the spouse of the king of kings and lord of lords for all eternity? How much more preparation do we need? He has to set us apart. <clears throat> now, what does that mean? Well, it could mean anything. Sanctified, set apart from the world, set apart from the things of this world, set apart from family sometimes, set apart from all different other things, whatever that part of the preparation process is. But the next thing he does is he cleanses us. He cleanses us. Similar to clothes, he cleanses us, he washes us clean. Now, some clothes... I didn't know this until I got married. When Before I got married, I just threw all of my clothes into the washer, set it on cold, dump soap in there, and said, yeah, God bless, hope this works. <laughs> I was a single guy when I was 20, 21, and, um, and it's not my mother's fault because she taught me. I guess I just never paid attention when she taught me about laundry. <laughs> uh, but I learned very quickly after throwing something of my wife's into that uh, spousing or washing routine that that's not how all clothes need to be washed. Some are very delicate and need a delicate cycle and some delicate soap and delicate fancy things. And some need a little bit more rough, heavy, like when you come home from the gym, you don't put those on the delicate cycle. You need to put those boys on hot water and let them run for a while. We're like that. The Lord knows exactly what it, we need and how it, it takes to clean us. Some Sometimes you need a delicate cycle. Sometimes you need a rough cycle. And I'm so thankful for my pastor growing up, who's now the, the head of our fellowship. He knew exactly when I was responding, and he still does. He, when I was coming to him, when I would always have a problem, he knew if I needed a, a, a smack upside the head, for, for lack of a better term, or when I needed that delicate corrective word. And likewise, the Lord's like that with us. He cleans us. You know, heart, and, and also the water. What kind of water we use? And we're going to see here the water is a type of the Word of God, the washing of the water by the Word. The Lord perfects His church partly by cleansing us through His Word. The, cleansing us through His Word. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Obeying the truth is part of how we are purified. It's not just reading it, although if that's all you're going to do is read the Bible, you're still going to get something out of it. But it's reading it, seeing it, and saying, ooh, that's important. I better do that. And obeying it, obeying the word. That's how we begin to be washed. You cannot just say, wash yourself in the word and give them the Bible and tell send them on their way. It's that we have to obey what you read as well. That's where the big, the big differentiator is. Um, now you can still read the word and be cleansed. There's sometimes when you read your Bible in the morning, I get up at 5 a.m. and every now and then you're reading the Bible and it's like, <clears throat> fall asleep and you're like, but I'm still going to read it. <laughs> I'm still going to read it because it's important. 
Now, there's sometimes where I read it and I look down and look at the clock and it's an hour later and I've read 15 chapters because I couldn't get enough of it. So you got it reading it. It cleanses us. It washes us. Wherewithal, uh, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. The word of God cleanses us. We, I used to share this with youth ministry all the time because I would have young men and women come to me and say, I don't know what I'm doing wrong or how to fix this. Learn God's word. Obey God's word. That fixes a lot of things. There's some things that require a little bit more customized uh, approach, but learn God's word. Obey God's word. It fixes many things just plain, plainly by doing that. Okay? Now, after that, we're cleansed, right? We're cleansed, and he present, he's, we are presented to him. Presented to him. That's such an awesome thought of being, here's your bride. And I remember my wedding day like it was yesterday. It's going on 14 years ago now. And I'm standing at the front, and I look down, and I see my gorgeous bride. She looks so beautiful. She's still beautiful today, but it was like she was glowing. You could hear those, ah, coming down the aisle, right? She's beautiful. And I was just sitting there, and I couldn't stop smiling. I looked over at my best man, and he's like, He's like, you can't stop smiling. I'm like, I can't because she was, she was just so beautiful and it's coming down and the whole thing. Um, that's what it's like. But that's what he is looking forward to as our bridegroom. That day when we're all ready, when we're all prepared and united as one bride, one glorious church presented to him. Imagine how you felt, husbands, seeing your wife on that day times a billion or more times eternity when he sees us prepared and presented to him. Psalm 45, 13 through 15, excuse me. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is wrought of gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto thee with gladness and rejoicing. They shall be brought, they shall enter into the king's palace. Here's a, a wedding and we see with gladness, rejoicing, her companions are all coming in, and it's a big, huge celebration because he's ready to see his bride and ready to receive. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be awesome. But that's God's part. That's Jesus' part. He's our bridegroom. He, there's, we're sanctified. We're set apart. We're cleansed. And we're cleansed, and we're offered to him. He gives the guidance. He gives the direction through his word. And there are other things we could talk about, but the main one's here this morning. But then there's our part. We are the glorious church, or we're part of that. Revelation 19, verse 7 through 8. Let us be glad and rejoice. Give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. The wife, the bride, has made herself ready. She's prepared. We have to make ourselves ready by doing a few things. First of all, he loves us. Do we love him? 
oh yeah, I love my dog, I love my car, I love the Lord, I'm a religious person, I love my clothes, I love this. But do we love him the way he loves us? He gave his life for us. And we're not, for the sake of time, we're not going to go deep into this, but in the Song of Solomon, you see a really nice progression of the loving relationship between someone who is courting someone to be their spouse. And it starts off to chapter 2, verse 16, where this is her response to, to the bridegroom who is showing her the unconditional love. And her response back is, my beloved is mine, I am his. He feeds among the lilies. It's this possessive, he is mine, right? That's how she starts. He is mine, he belongs to me. I am his too, but he is mine. Everything is focused on her. It's this possessive love. And we can look at the Lord like that sometimes. God, I need this. And then sometimes your prayer life can be, I need this, 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 this. Oh, yeah, and I love you too. And then you're off. That We can be like that sometimes. Um, as we progress in our relationship, hopefully not as much. But when we, that's how it can be sometimes. And as we progress and grow, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Chapter 6 of Song of Solomon, verse 3. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. So she switches it. She says, I am his, but he's still mine. So there's less possession, but there's still some possession there. Less possessive. The priority has changed. I am his, but he's still mine. <clears throat> so there's some growth, but we're not quite there yet. Finally, towards the end... Chapter 7, verse 10, I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. No possession whatsoever. I'm his. He knows what's best for me. His desire is towards me. That's all I need to know. Everything else is taken care of. So do we love the Lord? I think we could all say yes, but how? Where? What's that level of love like? He gave himself for us. The aspects of loving God is that divine aspect. That's what he's looking for, that sacrifice. Am I willing to lay down my stuff for his? Romans 12.1 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And here's the great part, which is your reasonable service. That's your basic obligation. It's reasonable for us to present ourselves to him. Why? Because he gave himself for us. He gave himself for us. Why would we love him any less? Or why should we love him any less? Right? If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. I love how it all goes back to obeying his word. A demonstration of our love for him is that we obey his word. Keep his commandments. John 14, 21 through 24. We won't read all of it, but it says, He that has my commandments, John 14, 21 through 24, He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. Ooh, that sounds good. That sounds awesome. <laughs> if you keep his commandments, it shows your love to him, and not only does the bridegroom love you, but the father of the bridegroom loves you too and shows his love towards you. That's, that's amazing. But it all comes down to keeping his commandments. Do I love God? That's a question we can ask ourselves. What's my love for him like? Now we go into the 
other part without spot or without wrinkle or blemish. Imagine a bride on her wedding day. Ladies, as you were getting prepared for your wedding day, getting all dressed up, and as you're walking down the aisle, you look, and there's a big old spot of grape juice right across the where everyone in the world is going to see, and all your cameras are there. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be a nightmare. And I remember in our church in Virginia, my wife, uh, many times, we did several weddings, and my wife would be in the back with the ladies helping them steam the dress to make sure there's no wrinkles. She literally was under a dress one time going from the back trying to get through. The things that happened back there, I don't think anyone ever wants to really know. But to make sure that that dress is perfect, immaculate, spotless, that's what the bride wants. And likewise, that's what we need to be, without spot, without wrinkle. <clears throat> Spots and wrinkles, you know, they stain the, a garment. Now, what defiles us? Well, God, Jesus told us in Mark 7, and again, we're not going to read all of it, but verse eight, 18, whatever thing comes from without cannot defile a man. He was having a conversation with the Pharisees about being defiled, and they're like, well, you've got to wash your hands for 20 minutes. And he's like, well, none of that is what really defiles you. And he goes on to say in verse 20, that which comes out of the man is what defiles him because what comes out is what is a demonstration of what's inside. This is Mark 7, 18 through 23. And, he, and then he goes on to list many things that defile us, adulteries, fornications, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lying, and so forth. These are things that wrinkle a garment really, really badly. Puts all kinds of spots on a garment. So how do we get out of these? How do we get rid of the spots and the wrinkles? Well, number one, we've covered already. Obey his word. What else do you do to get rid of wrinkles? Well, this morning when I woke up and I saw that my shirt was uh, just coming out of the dryer and had not uh, had time to air dry like I like, I needed to get something that the Spanish called plancha, which is a big, flat, hot iron. <laughs> and um, I needed some heat. And I need a lot of pressure to get rid of the iron because it was really bad. It was pretty wrinkly this morning. You can't tell now, but it was pretty wrinkly. <laughs> I needed a lot of heat and a lot of pressure to get those wrinkles out. And the stains need the washing and so forth. So how do we do that? Well, you know, the Lord's going to bring us through some times that can heat us up and put a lot of pressure on us. But what's he doing? He's getting rid of those Ugly wrinkles. I, can't, I don't know of any bride that I've ever talked to who would want their gown to be wrinkly and crumbled up uh, as they're walking down the aisle. Nobody wants that, right? And we don't want to be that way to him. We don't want to be that, be that bride, do we? You know, we could go into Colossians if you get a chance in your own private time, Colossians chapter 3, where he talks about putting off certain things, mortifying certain things, killing them, putting them off, the old man, the old ways, and then putting on new things, righteousness, garments of strength, bowels of mercy, and so forth. Putting off, exercising that restraint of, I'm not going to do that anymore. There's certain things that we have a choice on, and we have to get rid of those things, just like you take off your jacket and set it aside. I'm putting this off. I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. Other things require a little bit more time. That's why he says put them to death. It's almost like putting a tourniquet on. You know, you put a tourniquet on your arm, your arm's not going to be dead tomorrow, but you got to keep taking the life away from it. 
taking the life away from it. Don't give life to it. Let it die and go and fall away. So that's part of our cleansing process. Part of our cleansing process, the wrinkles. Get rid of the wrinkles. But I saw something interesting this morning when I looked up Watchman Nee. Has everyone heard of Watchman Nee? Evangelist from China, died in the early 70s, plus or minus. He had an interesting thought about wrinkles that I hadn't heard before. <clears throat> in a, a book he wrote about the glorious church, strangely enough. Not only is it without spot, but it is also without any wrinkle. We all know as young people, we have no wrinkles. Whenever wrinkles appear in a person, it means that he or she is getting old, right? Just look around. We see lots of wrinkles in the room this morning. The Lord wants to bring us, the church, to a stage where there is nothing old and nothing in the past, but he makes us new again as we are young. When the church stands before the Lord, it will seem as if they have never sinned, as if they never had any history of sin or any wrinkles whatsoever. She will be without spot or wrinkle. In the future, she will be the church according to God's purpose at his creation. Also, it says, without spot or blemish or wrinkle or any such things. In that translation from the Greek, it can be read this or that kind of defect. So not only is he cleaning out and making us like we've never sinned before, but there's no defect whatsoever. Nothing. Nothing. Now, when I think about defects, I think of little secret hidden things that you don't even really know are there. You know, my, my car had a recall on a defect once, and it was some part under the back part of the dashboard that I didn't even know existed. No idea what it does, but apparently it was a big deal to get replaced. There was something hidden behind that no one in their right mind would ever even think to look for. But it needed to get fixed. It was a defect that needed to be resolved or else, I mean, I didn't even ask what the consequences were, but they're going to fix it for free, so why not? <laughs> so no defect. No wrinkle. I like the wrinkle in terms of smoothing out the rough edges, but I also like the wrinkle of getting rid of the wrinkles and age and wearing of time. Like we're all, he makes all things new, doesn't he? Right? So that's a great thing. And finally, we're presented, as Revelation says, with fine linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. He presents us, we're presented to him, clothed in righteousness, this glorious church, holy, blameless. The clothing that they're given is the finest linen, the finest apparel. And as we know, in a lot of places, clothing signifies stature, doesn't it? And I think so in heaven as well. Our stature in heaven by the type of clothes that we wear. And this bride who's qualified is the finest Linen, linen, in white, white linen, which is the righteousness of the saints, signifying that she's holy, blameless, and pure. <clears throat> she's glorious. Because of all that, it makes the, the bride glorious, clothed, clothed in glory. The church will be, will put on glory or be clothed in glory, his glory, his glory. What a great day that will be. So as we wrap, close up, close this up this morning, thinking about the fact that we are his bride, he loves us. This verse in Ephesians, like I mentioned, you can go a different way and you could talk about husbands and wives, but we are all his bride, the bride of Christ. 
and looking at it from that perspective, how he loves us, how we respond to him, what his expectations are of his bride. First of all, make yourself ready by removing spots, removing wrinkles, getting rid of the old man, putting off the stuff from your past life and moving in to the new things that he has for us, responding to him, being obedient to his word, how we love him, how we treat him, and how we respond to him when he speaks. So trust this word was a blessing to you, and um, may the Lord bless it to our hearts. And Pastor Daniel, if you'd like to come. God bless you all.